0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Criterion Quest, a continuing podcast series looking at important films and contemporary classics. <laughs> my name is Chris and I'm joined as always by my wonderful co-host Lee. Hello. And uh, over there on the couch we've got our lovely Claire. Oh hi <laughs> She's waving She's waving <laughs> It's an audio medium, darling you gotta, you got to enunciate uh, But we are back with a uh, double feature episode We've had a few of those lately uh, I'm sorry to just bombard you with Taking up all your time watching many weird movies uh, But we have a Jules Dassin double feature um, I mistakenly, back when we did Rafifi, referred to him as Jules Dassin because I knew nothing about him and assumed he was French. It, he's from Connecticut. He's
1: from Connecticut. We actually, um, YouTube Googled his name just to make sure we
0: said it right. Yeah. Jules Dassin. Jules Dassin. So, uh, but yeah, we we are back with a double double header of uh some Jules Dassin noirs. Uh, we uh, kicking off with Thieves Highway from 1949 and Night and the City from 1950. Back-to-back films from this uh, interesting director. Mm. Um, But I guess uh, as we normally do with double feature episodes, we're going to kick things off with the first one and then we'll flow into the next. Um, But yeah.
1: Do you want to read the plot synopsis?
0: I do. I've got uh, the criterion (laughs) stuff right in front of me. We'll start with Thieves Highway. Thieves Highway vividly depicts the perilous world of Long Haul Boys. In quotations, uh, who drive by night to bring their goods to the markets of American cities. Richard Conti stars as XGI Nick Gracos. I'll do that one more time, maybe. <laughs> Richard Conti stars as XGI Nick Gracos, a Tyro truck a Tyro trucker bent on satisfaction from the man responsible for crippling his father. Ruthless market operator Mike Figlia, played by Lee J. Cobb. But when Figlia gets wise to his plan, Nick finds himself in a web of treachery and heartbreak.
1: Yes, he does. Um, the actor who played Mike.
0: Yep, uh, um, Lee Jacob.
1: I've seen him in two films, uh, Ten Angry Men and...
0: Um, You're forgetting, I think, two men there. What did I say? Ten. <laughs> Yeah, somewhere, that's like the weird version where it's like 12 Angry mean Men, mean? <laughs> 12 Angry Men meets 8 Men Out, the baseball yes. movie. We need 10 jurors to become a baseball team, and John Cusack's one of them. 12 Angry Men. 12
1: Angry Men, and, um, um,
0: the ghost movie. The Exorcist. <laughs> one of the greatest <laughs> films ever made. Yes. Where he plays uh, Detective Kinderman. Yes. Uh, one of the the weirdly element that grounds that film. Like, Mm. the rest of that film is, like, a family dealing with insanity of, like, a demon possession, and then you've got the church aspect, and then just at the center of it, you've got Lee Jacob with a hat and a trench coat just being like, I'm sorry about you, I'm just a detective. He's like Columbo coming in and just, like, (laughs) grounds that film to a hole. He's like, do you like movies? Let's go to the movies." Yeah. I got a double pass to the double feature tonight. Let's go. Let's be my friend.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I definitely say he's my favorite thing in that film. He's great.
0: He's amazing. Like, yeah, between him and Father Karras, they just make it. Or are you meaning Thieves Highway?
1: <laughs> Thieves Highway.
0: Oh, okay, yeah. I, I love him in The Exorcist, but yeah, he is 100% the best thing in Thieves Highway. Definitely. Without a doubt. Um, this was a weird one for me. Um like, normally, like, lately as well, it's been a lot of, hey, Chris, you clearly have seen a lot of this filmmaker's films before. Yeah. Tell us about it. Uh, Jules Das and I have only ever seen Rafifi, uh, which is very yeah. fucking different to yeah. these two films.
1: What's that film about?
0: That film is about a jewel heist. and it is. It's, ah, yeah, it's a French film, uh, Jewel Heist, an amazing sequence where the actual heist is like 40 minutes long. And it's all silent because they can't make an annoy- a noise because it will trip the alarm. It was, like, a massive influence on uh, Ocean's Eleven and things.
1: Do you know what year, in what
0: uh, context to this? Yeah, 1951? 1952? So it's, like, right after, um, yeah, the uh, Night in the City. I wonder back it. then if... No, di- sorry, 1955.
1: 1955. I wondered back then if directors just went from film to film to film to film to film. Yeah. Like Woody Allen. <laughs>
0: well, that's actually... Looking up a little bit about uh, Dassin. that's kind of what his deal was. He was a hired gun director for 20th Century Fox. And, um, yeah, would just get... Like, he was very accomplished in things, and uh, Daryl Zanuck, uh, who ran Fox in the 40s and 50s, would just be like, "Oh, we'll just get Jules to make this movie. Yeah. Like, he's just one of their staples of directors, and if it's a crime or or a noir-type film, we'll just give it to Jules. Yeah. So, that was kind of of similar to, like, Samuel Fuller and a few of those other directors, so, yeah.
1: Yeah. What I found interesting about this film, and the next film as well, is, um, I think the next film does it better, but um, the main character is not, your well, I think Nico is meant to be the good guy, yeah, but he's a bit of an asshole or well, that... a dumbass, maybe dumbass
0: for sure, <laughs>
1: yeah, maybe not an art. Well, yeah, he's definitely not a likable character, but the thing is, he starts off so
0: likable, yeah. and like the film goes out of its way to be like, this Look at sick- how great yeah. this guy is, he's coming back from war with gifts, yeah, <laughs> like that's. I'm pretty sure like people didn't come home with giant parcel presents like, Hey, I'm back from war. No, you're right. And then you find out like he wasn't actually a soldier, he was just a mechanic. Like yeah, there's Ah, uh,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. But, yeah, he, like, that opening scene, it is, he is painted as, like, I mean, his mom, mom, I just mean, like, you're such, you're such a good boy, Nick. Yes. Sorry for any, not being <laughs> a stereotype.
1: And he gives his mom dancers earrings, I'm like, ooh.
0: He's like, you're always my dancing girl, mama. Your no, <laughs> dancing girl. And then, um, the, his, uh, his fiance enters, and we mistakenly think it's his sister briefly, and they make this out. This is
1: my question, yeah, that was awkward. <laughs> We, 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 we come, yeah. so the scene is he's come home from war, he's giving mama and dad presents, and then this girl walks in, and w- w- why is she there if she's not his sister? And then they just start making out, and we're like, whoa! And then, was, and then <laughs> the parents do
0: this. Yeah, they start. From <laughs> tr- the table. Like, it <laughs> <laughs> We want a princess, baby! But then it, it, like, doubles down the movie later on when he's just talking about, like, when he's with um, Rika, the prostitute, up in her room, and she's like, "You don't like girls? He's like, "I like girls, like my little sister with pigtails down to here." And you're yeah. just like, "Wait, mm. whoa. Wow. <laughs> why didn't you buy her a present?" Yeah, she's not, well, yeah, she's never not around. Mm. Grace, um, but yeah, it's it's an interesting film in that it's it, it's framed and posited as a noir, but it's doesn't have. It's not within that world, randomly.
1: So, my understanding of noir is the way it's shot. The lighting, black and white, it's... But, would you say noir tends to be certain genres as well? Yes, essentially,
0: like, things dealing with the underworld, which is the added aspect of noir, like, black and, you know, it being the seedy underbelly of cities and, you know, that's why it's often dealing with crime and detectives and things. Yeah. Um, Like, even, like, Sunset Boulevard is a noir... I, but it's not, but that's about high society in Hollywood, but yeah. it's about the seedy underbelly and you know, yeah. forgotten stars and exploitation and things, so yeah, yeah, it's but if it's yes, yeah, it's traditionally dealing with the underworld and the underbelly and shot in a way that kind of. Accentuates and highlights it. Lots of Venetian blinds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that like, Captain Kirk strip eye yeah, and things. Yeah, yeah. So, That's what
1: always made me think of noir, but I never thought of it as, like, yeah, a genre, more of a style. But, um, yeah, it's interesting because uh, this one, um, Thieves' Highway, tends to be... Um, not so much about the underworld, at least the main character, the main people we're with aren't really into crime or anything like that. They've had crime done to them and now it's a revenge film. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was in, I, I remember thinking this is interesting. It's not about gangsters. It's not about, um... Thieves, or it's about people coming into contact with thieves. They're they're not part, you it, know.
0: It's I, and I think that's where the the title comes from, Thieves Highway. It's about people who are not familiar with this this world, go like diving headfirst into it, and then realizing how in over their head they actually are, and how yeah. much that world tears you up and spits you out if you're not prepared for it or know what you're doing with it.
1: Yeah, it's um. Uh, wake and, a bit of wake and frightness like to it oh, in that yeah. kind of way yeah, like yeah. What you're saying with the he can't get out or he spits you out or whatever yeah mm.
0: yeah you, you just get sucked into that world because there's the massive like I mean the, the back of the the Criterion samples didn't really explain it this film has a lot to do with apples and tomatoes <laughs> yes um, and so it's basically about the fruit trade and things and these truckers and you know Nico's dad got um, you know done like hard done by Mike Figlia, Lee J. Cobb, like, he kind of fucked him over, and so Nico's out for revenge, and he's gonna do that by teaming up with this guy Ed, in his dad's old truck, and selling Mike Figlia a bunch of apples. Yeah. But it's the... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. How is
1: that the plot?
0: But it is, though, and that's the thing, and it's, that's where the film kind of gets interesting, where it's... (sighs) The... It's so convoluted (laughs) and weird that, yeah, Nico is entering in this, like, I'm gonna, you know, I'm using the apples and things as a guise to get in and get revenge, and when we get there, I'm gonna fuck with Figlia and get my comeuppance, my dad's crippling, and like, you know, that, that, settle that debt. But the second that the money starts to exchange hands, Nick seems to forget all about his main motivation, which is where that gets kind of interesting.
1: yeah. Interesting or confusing? I'm not sure. But I remember thinking, well, what about that other deal? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Like, and that... What's
0: what's your end game here? What's
1: your end game? Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean, because he gets very, very excited when he finally does get paid. And this is where... He, like, goes
0: up with uh, Rika, the prostitute, and he's like, I'm going to buy you a drink, and we're going to have a steak dinner, and I'm going to get married tonight. And he's like, (laughs) wait, weren't... Like, was your plot just to extort the guy? Yeah, because I don't... Is I that feel how you're like... getting the revenge? Because it didn't seem like a satisfying... No. You needed that scene after he got the money. You need, like, a scene of him, like, out on the street and just looking at the wallet and the money and then being like, I did it, Papa. Yeah. Like, you want him but, but... the reiteration of that's what he's doing this all for.
1: But for me, he didn't even get reiterated because he got the fair money for his Apple trade. So what's
0: the... <laughs> no, no, he did... He. Cause fair, like you know, in in consumer goods and service, (laughs) economics lesson time. Um, (laughs) Basically, if like he's you know selling like Figlier as a as a wholesaler, selling the apples to the to the grocery stores and things, and he's selling them at six and a half dollars a like on the crate or whatever it was. then he would t- he's selling those at a markup that what he got from his supplier. Therefore, he's making a bit of profit, and then the like the grocery people will then sell them even higher to the consumer. So everyone makes that trickle down bit of profit from where it started.
1: Yeah.
0: Except Nick is taking all the money, all the money. He's yeah. he's taking it for six and a half dollars on the uh, gotcha, out, on the gotcha, Apple gotcha. there. So that's I guess his revenge for. Like, getting the money his father was owed, but it's not... Like I said, you need that elation scene of him being like, Yeah, I got my money and my papa's too. But instead it's like, I got my money, I'm gonna go fuck a whore. Yeah. (laughs) Like, uh, sorry for the harsh Like, Yeah, yeah.
1: He's got... Yeah, he turns uh, greedy and
0: selfish and... He loses sight of what he's actually doing this for in the face of actually the profitability of... Becoming a scumbag. Yeah. Which I guess is the arc that this film is kind of presenting. It's if you can start as a wholesome, pure person, but if you let yourself get dragged down into this underbelly and corrupted by it, you, are you no better than these people? And
1: and I guess um, that sort of is where uh, we have Ed, spoiler, uh, <laughs> Ed's, yeah. Ed's truck. Crash and go up in flames, and the two other little guys. um,
0: Oh, uh, like Squirrely and Joe. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Uh, Slob and Pete. Slob. That's why I wanted to call him by Squirrely. Like, yeah, it's something weird. Like, yeah, his name was Slob and Pete.
1: (laughs) Slob. He. They have the different reactions to what's happened to Ed, and um, I'm going to say Joe
0: is the. Pete? Pete? (laughs) <laughs> Slob is the one who is just like this ain't right, guys. The, the curly looking guy, yeah. yeah,
1: and yeah, and so one's going, oh well, I'll we'll do this. I'll keep being.
0: It's not going to make him not be dead not be dead. Like you know, those apples aren't going to go to waste. So someone should profit off of it. Yeah. So why not it be me? He's
1: but Slob's like if I crush you in the street, you're. It, it's dead to it's me. the
0: personification. Like he's just now seen written in flesh. Like oh yeah. That's what this lifestyle does to you. It it turns you into a fucking scumbag. Yeah. So and I don't want any part of that. Yeah. Greatly played by Jack Oki, that guy's slob. So yeah.
1: Um, but I've got to say before we continue on with any storyline or anything, how much of a dumbass Nico is. Yes. So um, for more reasons than one. But for number one, we couldn't get past the point that his tie got slashed outside the fruit market. So he goes into the coffee shop, obviously, to wake up himself up. And then he goes back with Rika Rika, to um, her apartment. And it's just like, why don't you just go sit in your truck, you dumbass? What do you think's going to happen
0: to your fruit? Like you parked it literally outside the guy who ripped off and crippled your father. Yeah. Do you think he's going to be like, well, I'm an honorable man? Yeah. Yeah. But
1: maybe that was part of his plan because then he profits from it later and all that.
0: Uh, no, but even so, like, he he has no fucking idea what he's doing with yeah. Apple sales. <laughs> he, uh, and that's the whole point. It's like, and Ed even reiterates to him, it's like, fucking wait till I get there. You have no yeah, idea what, what you're, you're doing. doing. You're doing this as a revenge plot. Mm. And the prophet, it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to help you facilitate your revenge. Yeah. But I also am going to make a little scratch on the side. Yeah. Wait for me to get there and Nick's just like fuck dad money, yeah. make it rain
1: and then the the most dumb thing he does is when he finally gets paid he goes into a bar and tells everyone to shut up so he can have a phone call and loudly tells his fiance
0: he on Karens phone, it Karen's <laughs> yeah he's acting like a Karen he goes in and he's like everyone be quiet I need to make a phone call I'm,
1: I've got four thousand dollars
0: come Every, down here
1: everyone rob me yeah
0: but I mean, it, yeah, it, it's he's he's the dumbest protagonist, which I guess is that like Ooh. the added thing of the subverting of the noir thing, where we normally have the cocky, overconfident, the schema like someone that enters into a scheme knowing. The X, Y, Z of where they're going to end up and what they're doing down to the T. Whereas yeah. this is a douchebag who's making it up as he goes. It
1: is the opposite of, say, Ocean's Eleven, where everyone's, you know, on the no- in the know and all yeah. that. And it's just this doofus walking around. And it's so painful. It's Ocean's
0: Eleven if you got Scott Kahn and Casey Affleck to do the heist <laughs> themselves. <laughs> like the two redneck truck guys. <laughs> It's not going to work.
1: In a way, you're right. It makes it more interesting because you don't know the tropes. The tropes are clearly out the window. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's refreshing and it's... And it also
0: starts as a total non-noir in the sense of like, we're starting with a GI coming home and, you know, the, the reveal of his father being in the wheelchair and things. And then when he goes to confront Ed... It's like a suburban California street. Yeah. It is like the opposite of like a dimly lit smoke, like someone smoking a cigarette in an office through Venetians with a fan slowly going. It's a fucking 10 in the morning suburban street. Yeah. It is like the polar opposite of that. And then it slowly, as our characters get into the underworld, it slowly becomes that, which Uh, is kind of cool.
1: I like that. Yeah. And it's, uh, Dasson's very good at building tension mm. there were moments during this film I'm going to be honest where we were having a bit of a chat and then there were moments where we all just stopped talking and zoned in and looked in it almost like moved forward in our chairs to yeah. watch this film
0: because you're also like I think it's the Dudley with the tension he's able to build up in his set pieces but then also because the story's so batch crazy <laughs> you're like I don't know where this is going, yeah. and you've ratcheted up tension here that I am genuinely interested. Where are we going now? Yeah, yeah.
1: I like that. Yeah, it's refreshing. Hmm. Um
0: I think as well, like the problem with Nick, uh, with Richard Conti as the lead there, it's he is just, every, and it's not, it's not his fault. It's just when you cast Lee J Cobb as your villain, like no one can hold the screen with him. Yeah. Right? He destroys everybody.
1: He's... He's amazing. Isn't yeah. he amazing? He just... Oh. He's perfectly that character. But in every other character I've seen him in as well. He's just great.
0: He's an incredible, incredible actor. Um... And like Claire was pointing out as well when we're watching it, like even down to his little mannerisms and the way he conducts himself, it's not necessarily his line readings, but it is just... He is a fucking... That guy is real. Like that character is real. Whereas with Nick and Rika and Polly in particular, the, the fiancé, it's like, well, I'm going to go down to the store and I'm going to buy some cigarettes. Yeah. And you're like, that's... I you love- have read that from our script.
1: <laughs> and you were saying they were the, the cop in the last...
0: <laughs> oh, that was my favorite when when they finally have their big confrontation with Mike and the two cops come in. It's like, which one's the bad guy? <laughs> it's it's it, that's the bummer. This film boils down to which one's the bad guy. That one, okay, bub, you're coming with me.
1: Yeah.
0: And then the cop being like, you guys, you shouldn't take the law into your own hands. You, it's something that um even if they, you know, he did bad with you, it's um leave it to us. Okay, bye. Yeah. <laughs> that is the performance. Yeah. Yes. I I was trying to like It's Ed Wood level. <laughs>
1: <laughs> is that like crime doesn't pay? Like is that the moral are they trying to add a bit of
0: I guess it's like what I guess you could read into that being is like the cop just being like, you guys don't belong in this world. Like mm. don't don't dabble into this like you you see what happens, leave this to us, go back home. But then Nick doesn't do that. He does the total opposite Ditches his fiance and then goes back to Rika The prostitute is like, "Let's get married, see? Yeah. I like this lifestyle. I'm gonna keep going." He doesn't
1: ditch his fiance. She ditched him.
0: Mm. Yeah, she
1: did the right thing. Well, she ditched him. But no, but like, all... you even got money for take
0: it Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I you're right. Like, yes.
1: It's the one time where like a woman actually makes a choice for herself
0: in all of the films. <laughs> yeah, I'm, and, and I'm, the, our mantra watching these films whenever there was a. Questionable thing happening with a woman. We just have to keep sa- keep saying like, it's 1940s. Women are objects. <laughs> they have no agency. They are property of men. That's why they're getting dragged around. And-
1: Something I've noticed in these olden films that we're watching is the arm, the hand behind the back of a woman's arm, and as the woman walks through a scene, they're just kind of like shuffling her along or pushing her it's along, like the or weird grabbing pressure it point there yeah, as well, grabbing the top of their arm and kind of pulling them here and there mm. and. Uh, it's funny. Um, my my husband Josh sent me through this thing during the films, and it's actually 1950, so it's right, um, right middle of the, this. The, yeah. And it's tips to look after your husband <laughs> <laughs> as a joke, but it's like get his dinner ready, prepare yourself, minimal minimalise noise, you <laughs> know. <But>, like <laughs> <that's> just, <laughs> it's just it makes you realise like we're watching this now, and we're like, the'll fuck is this shit yeah but then yeah
0: that's particularly
1: in the next one i got a bit upset yes
0: and we'll get to that but although at least there was i mean rika to some regard has some agency and drive in this film at least in Night in the city there is one at least one character female character that does seem to be trying to propel herself forward and the narrative and not for the sake of a man like yeah yeah you've got that at least a little bit there
1: i guess in the second Mm. one as well which we'll get to but Mm. um yeah, very little. <laughs> yeah,
0: oh, oh, yeah, I'm not apologising for this films' treatment women at all.
1: <laughs> but I guess before we move on, we should talk about Ed's scene in the truck and how you were saying that's an amazing shot or something.
0: Yeah, yeah, so part of the trivia, in a later interview, uh, director Jules Tassin said that the shot of the debris field from Ed's wreck was the favourite of his all-time shots he'd ever done, which is saying something because this guy made Rafifi. So... <laughs> Yeah, it is a gorgeous sequence that kind of you could view as comical if you hadn't had the lead up to, because it is that 1940s sped up, cranked up footage of the mm-hmm. truck going out of control. But I think because we'd invested in Ed as a character and we'd had that really crucial scene of him rescuing Nick when he's trying to say, change the car tire. Because Ed's framed as a scumbag. Mm. Like, he's jipping at... He's, you know, ripping off Nick's dad. He's trying to rip off the Polish farmers. He's not a good person. And then when presented with an actual good or bad choice, he chooses good and saves Nick. And all of a sudden we realise, okay, this guy isn't necessarily a bad person. He's just trying to make his way in the shitty world he finds yes. himself in. So we relate to him immediately... And then that makes his demise so much more powerful, yeah. and like the the framing of the scene and the way it's executed is so brilliant.
1: Yeah, and I think that goes with the building of the tension. This director knows how
0: to build tension because
1: uh, Nico was stuck under that car. Like,
0: oh yeah, <laughs> and then when the and then you see the bubble of the tire gonna yeah. blow a second time, you're like, oh fucking hell, get
1: the hell out of there. Yeah, um, but yeah, the Ed character. Um, yes, presented poorly at the beginning, but I think as the film goes on, we realise he's just one of these people in this world and this is how you get further with
0: things. And and it also, like, his death is, I guess, a cautionary tale as well of, like, he knew the truck was bad and he knew it. He was fucking putting that shit together with chicken wire. Like, yet, he, yet the drive to get money and succeed in this world, like, in this, you know, underbelly world, like, still, it led to his demise.
1: Um... It's a tough world, isn't it? Ooh. 1949. We were like, I'd just call RACV. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's a very, very different time. Hmm. Um,
0: I don't know. Have, you, have we got anything else with this one? I mean, it, it's not... There's a lot of good elements in there, but it's as a whole, it's kind of... It, it, both of these films have hyperly convoluted plots. Yeah. Like... Like I said, this film was about apples and tomato training. Yeah. Like, it doesn't need to be, but it is. There's all these elements in play that you're like, why the fuck are we about wholesale fruit?
1: Yeah, <laughs> I love that though, like, imagine trying to sell fruit now and make a buck. Like, it's it, again, it's such a different time, and obviously he goes on to make a Jewel Heist movie, and that's yeah. a little bit more, you know... But I love that it's about yeah exchanging
0: fruit. Yeah, and the <laughs> and the dodgy wheelings and dealings of the wholesale produce market <laughs> with Lee J. Academy Award nominee Lee J. Yeah, I like that. It's it, it, it's overly convoluted, which makes it kind of not fun to watch. <laughs> in in that you're always just going kind of like, why are you? Why are why motivations? This? Yeah, yeah. Whereas there is some great stuff in there, and it's not a bad film, but it's...
1: I, I think what you said about how we start off not noir and end up noir, and how it's the same with the characters, that's probably where it shines, yeah. but um, very convoluted, and yeah,
0: about fruit. And no one lives up to Lee Jacob. Yeah. <laughs> um, the other main thing I guess we, we should touch on is um, the film critic Tom Anderson um, uses this film as an example of film Greed which is a subcategory of film noir incorporating left-wing narrative. Um, so, yeah, so film gris, which uh, instead of film noir being obviously black film, film grey is grey film. And so it's termed by experimental filmmaker Tom Anderson, as I said, um, it's a type of noir, which character... I'm just reading, reading Wikipedia at this <laughs> <laughs> Which categorizes a unique series of films that were released between 1947 and 1951. Mm. Uh, they came in the context of the first wave of the communist investigation of the House of Un-American Activities Committee. So basically, these noir films were viewed as... This is leftist-leaning, possibly communist sympathizer filmmakers who are trying to push a left-wing agenda onto a mainstream film-going audience, um, mainly through the idea of, like, with with this film for example, it is sympathising with the farmers and the produce-makers and the people that get sucked into this wheelings and dealings of a, it's technically figlier... Wait, so it's left-wing believing that people
1: should all be paid for stuff?
0: Yes. Okay. Pretty, yeah. Interesting. Pretty much. And so if basically, I never
1: thought of that as left wing. Because People if you, should be paid for the things
0: they do. But, but if you think about it, Figlia, our villain in this film, Mike Figlia, he is not a crime boss. He is a businessman. Yeah. Who Either. is a shitty businessman. Yeah. And so this is where that kind of left this possibly communist idea start to come That's in. That's fabulous. It's super interesting, right? Uh, there's a list. There's not many of them, actually. Uh, they Live By Night is probably another one. Asphalt Jungle. Um, yeah, Very. there's maybe about 12 films that are considered film gris but yeah
1: the the name just makes me think of wine yeah Yeah, it's a pinot gris yeah Yeah. that's my favorite title yeah (laughs) they're all white wines but these ones are pinot gris
0: yeah uh we have the distinction yeah the distinction from film noir film gris is a little more pessimistic and cynical than film noir the dividing line between crime and law enforcement is often blurred film gris tend to blame society rather than individuals uh, the audience identification is often with the collective in a way atypical of Hollywood films. The alluring and treacherous femme fatale's motives are more obvious and easier to identify with than mm. in film noir. So, interesting. Okay. So, yeah, that, I mean, it doesn't necessarily... motivations? Well, yeah, you know, that's the one where I'm a bit like...
1: 50 bucks?
0: Yeah, I guess, or it ends up being 100, so...
1: And then, I guess, she falls for him.
0: Yeah, which is a bit... Yeah. but
1: it's weird, not very clear
0: um, I, I think it's less so that more so the actual like yeah, communist-y yeah stuff.
1: yeah yeah yeah
0: um, but yeah that's that's
1: really interesting
0: but the thing is like knowing that and talking about that it doesn't necessarily add to the enjoyment of the
1: film but it also <laughs> or... makes me wonder did the actors realise that that's what's happening
0: no and as well the thing I don't think Jules Dassin thought
1: oh. either he
0: uh, which we'll kind of get into a little bit with Night in the City I like heard. some stuff that happened behind the scenes there it, and with a lot of, like, you know, I'm now going to attempt to talk about the whole communist and blacklisting era of Hollywood. I don't know uh, uh, enough about it to kind yeah. of go into this really, but there are a lot of people that were accused and blacklisted who actually weren't, but people viewed their art in the way that they conducted themselves at, like, you know, surprise, surprise, there were some hidden agendas going on. Yeah. So Whereas there were some filmmakers and artists that were openly, openly... Left, like, you know, Dalton Trumbo being a great example of that. I was about to bring him out. Yeah. So, I
1: don't know. Interesting. Something to think about. It is something to
0: think about. Do I quickly do a little bit more trivia with Thieves Highway? Um, According to director Jules Dassin, Jack Oakey, who played Slob, was completely deaf by the time that they were filming this film.
1: Oh my god, I could tell.
0: (laughs) It just, yep. Uh, quote from Dassen he caused absolutely no delays with filming though (laughs) good on him yeah good for you buddy um that's crazy yeah I'm kind of just doing trivia off the fly here um there's not really that much more interesting stuff there's some stuff about Lee J Cobb and the guy uh Morris Karanovsky who played uh, Nick's dad were both members of the famous uh, group theatre um William Holden was also a member of that like a theatre actors group that they were all from Uh, It's interesting
1: we were saying that during the movies, like these people feel like very stage actors. Yeah,
0: very much so. Uh Like there's very few that can translate across from, back in this time at least, theatre to film and Lee J. Cobb's a great example of it.
1: So he was theatre then film.
0: Yeah, it's almost that like proto-Stanislavski method where it's like less is more on theatre and like just really Mm. kind of internalise your stuff. And if you do that well, the audience will get it. You don't have to sing it to the raft, like, yeah, to the back row, like, yeah, to yeah. signify it. People will... If, if you're in the moment, people will connect with that. And Films
1: are much closer medium.
0: Exactly. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Um, but I guess before we move on to Night in the City, we'll talk about the Criterion edition itself. Uh, so it comes with... This, it's still in print from Criterion as a one-disc DVD, and it comes with an audio commentary by Alan Silver. Editor of Film Noir Reader and author of Raymond Chandler's Los Angeles. New video interview with Jules Dassin. I fucked it up again. I said Dassin the French way. It's D- Dassin. Dassin! Uh, trailer <laughs> for The Long Haul of AI Besideris, uh, from 2004. A new documentary on Bezideris, the author of the screenplay and the novel of which it was based. That's the other thing. There's a lot of moments in this film where you're just like, this feels like it's something that w- would be great in a book, but not. Like, you could cut that shit. <laughs> Uh, as well as original theatrical trailer and book that an essays like Criterion usually do. Cool. Time to move on to the way better film. <laughs> Much better. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, Night nice and the City. Two-bit hustler Harry Fabin, uh, Richard Widmark, uh, longs for a life of ease and plenty. Trailed by the inglorious history of go-nowhere schemes, he tries to hatch a... A lucrative plan with a famous wrestler, but there is no easy money in the underworld and sh- of shifting alliances, bottomless, bottomless graft and pummeling flesh. And Fabian soon learns the horrific price of his ambition. Luminously shot in the streets of London, while Hollywood blacklisters back home were closing in on director Jules Dassin. Night in the City also stars Gene Tierney in this film noir of the first order and one of Dassin's. Cra- Crowning achievements. Mmm. Yeah.
1: What do you mean the closing in on?
0: Okay, so we'll just get into that right off the
1: bat. Well, I'm interested now.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, Dassen has said that uh, Daryl F. Zanuck, who was running 20th Century Fox at the time, in 1948 called him into his office to inform them, him that he was about to be blacklisted. Uh, he still had enough time to make a movie for Fox, however, which was Night in the City. Dassin was blacklisted in Hollywood during the production of Night in the City, which is obviously why they had the rights and they're like, go over to London and film this where you can't be extradited and you can be safe over there. And so it was during the production of this film that he was officially blacklisted and not allowed back into the United States. Uh, he was not allowed on the studio property to edit or oversee the musical score for the film. He also had trouble finding work abroad. A U.S. Uh, distribution company blacklisted the U.S. distribution of any European films associated with artists who were blacklisted in Hollywood. Uh, in 1952, after Dassin had been out of work for two years, actress Betty Davis hired him to direct her Broadway review, Two's Company. The show closed early, however, and Dassen, uh left for Europe once again. Uh, he again didn't work for quite some time until he took the job in 1955 making Rafifi. Uh, his most influential work and considered the crowning jewel of the heist genre and he won Best Director at the 1955 Cannes Film Festival.
1: That's a turnaround. Yeah. Um. First of all... The
0: thing. <laughs> yeah, I a lot of <laughs> you just then.
1: <laughs> it, what made me... What I was thinking about, there's no um, reason that it's in London. These American people are just in London. Yep. Or, well, I suppose at the beginning, his girlfriend's like, we've been running away from your depths or something along those lines. It kind of
0: works with the story wise to set it in London and the idea of doing a European noir especially because this is right around the time of The Third Man as well, which is a European set noir so you've got, that's kind of yeah, Post war as well. It's this, it's a new exo- like you know interesting kind of setting, mm. I guess. <laughs> but <laughs> also the guess. idea of Zanek just being like fucking bail, buddy. Yeah. I got I got your back, like so, bail.
1: So he got blacklisted because he made film Grey and they were communist films.
0: Yeah, I, there's not much out there. If Gasson was actually like a card carrying communist or anything like that, but he was blacklisted. Yeah, and Thieves Highway is like a Used as an example as to why. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, interesting. Mm. So, yeah. I'm just trying to think of, because we've done the two films, I'm trying to think of, um, you spoke about how the communist works in the first one. How would you say the communist works?
0: I don't. It, this is not considered film noir. This, oh, one. this okay. is just straight film noir.
1: Okay. Because yep. I was confused.
0: Yeah. Sorry. I should have explained that a little bit better. No. 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 This uh, Night in the City is not film noir. It is straight noir. This one.
1: Okay.
0: Yeah. It, that list I said of like you know twelve to fifteen films. This is not, not on one of them. So, okay. Yeah.
1: That makes more sense. Do you, have we done the genre? I mean, have synopsis. We done the synopsis. Yes, we have. Okay.
0: Because yes. because it, it talked about him being blacklisted, didn't we? Yeah. yeah. Oh no, say no, yeah. No. I can't be fucking editing that out. <laughs> <It's good. laughs> hmm. Yeah. Um, so this is one I had seen about three quarters of. Okay. I had seen up until uh, because I actually found it at like a swap meet or like a you know second-hand store for like two dollars. And living here in Australia, if you find a Criterion for two dollars, you just fucking buy that. Film. <laughs> That's so funny. Regardless of what the film, is, just like, yep, cool. Um, and i'm so happy i have this on dvd in my collection because it's fucking wonderful
1: i definitely enjoyed this one better it was a much better film mm. um much better shot film yeah number one that's what got me there was a few well there were many moments in Thieves highway where i'm ooh that's a good shot but in night in the city not sex in the city night in the city <laughs> um, <laughs> um it was just plentiful mm. the amazing shots
0: well that's what's interesting about it. It it does it take having to go abroad and work with an international crew to be able to actually get your vision of what you want for a noir out there. Whereas working within the Hollywood like low budget Hollywood studio system, you're like, No no no, this is just a B picture. We need to get this out, we need to crank it out. Whereas in London he's left alone and he's able to Shoot the shit out of it
1: Yeah Because it sounds like As we were saying before in A director for hire Bang 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 yeah, yeah yeah Which is
0: again Why Zanuck was just like I like you You do good work for us I think that You'd crush with this material Get the fuck out of the states And mm. go make this And it's a great Little picture It's interesting It's gonna be doing 1950 It's a good picture You see <laughs>
1: film um it's interesting because harry much like nico is uh not a very likable character however i learned to like him as the film went on yeah but talking back to how um this is very different to noir's or or heist films or, or you know gangster films he's not i loved watching him thinking he had all the answers but also getting a lot of the background of other characters talking while he's not there and setting mm. him up.
0: Yeah, you summed it up really well when we are watching it where you said it's normally in a noir, it is like a detective or a crime boss like scheming and double pulling double crosses on their marks. Whereas this one... Harry thinks he's doing that, but instead he is actually the mark, and he's getting duped. Yeah. So our protagonist is actually the idiot who is getting dunked on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in yeah. Throughout the entire film, and it's. Awesome to watch. <laughs> it's really,
1: I really, really liked Night in the City. I, mm. Yeah, it was really awesome to watch. And um, how bloody sassy and cocky and confident he was.
0: Richard Widmark, man, like ever since um, Pick Up on South Street, um, which I was mentioning to lead during watching this film, like, yeah, as soon as he popped up on screen, I'm like, holy shit, it's fucking Skip McCoy. <laughs> <laughs> the the mild mannered pickpocket. <laughs> He's effortlessly fucking charming Yeah, he is so good at playing scumbags and he makes them so likeable and so fun <laughs> that like this guy sucks and you want to see him fail but at the same time you root for him so badly because he's so charming at being a shithead. <laughs>
1: yeah, not at all like Nico. No. In the first one yeah. like pla- oh, this idiot.
0: <laughs> Nico was intolerable to watch. Yeah. Like you just like I Rainbow. don't I don't care about you or your motivation whereas with Harry you're like you suck and I know you're going to fail but god I kind of hope you succeed. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's interesting, isn't it? Um
0: but it's it's I think with this one as well, like it's it's definitely lifted by Richard Widmark's performance. But again, this coming down to the nuts and bolts of the story, it is that hyper convoluted thing, kind of similar to Thieves Highway, where it, it's a guy wheeling and dealing and trying to make his own way. And I, I love how the film opens with him running away from someone, and we don't know what he's running from. And it's just yeah. like it's Thursday, yeah. <laughs> and he's that's how he lives his life trying to do scams, trying to make his money, trying to get his, but he's so bad at it, and, yeah.
1: I mean, jumping all the way to the ending, he even acknowledges that himself at yeah. the end and has that little quick monologue where he talks about uh, running from my father, running from, I
0: don't know, like clubs, all the, you know, all the, the different thugs, things.
1: Yeah, um, yeah this then, is how he lives his life.
0: Yeah, and when he finally gets, like, you know, staying way at the third act, like when he's on the run from... Um, Uh, Christo's guys and things like, you know, after the fuck up has happened, it's, the film opens with him going, it's a montage of him going around to his regular people that he would try and get money from for his next scheme. And it's just like, no, 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 getting shut down. And then towards the end of the film, we have the bad guys going again. It's the repeated montage of going to all the people he would normally go to, but to track him down and kill him. And it's no, no, no again. And it's... Yeah, it's so wonderfully constructed.
1: Yeah, definitely. Mm. Um, what was I going to say? I, I, just, I couldn't get past that beginning scene where he goes to um Mary. His um, how do you say Mary again?
0: Uh, Mary. Uh, Mary. <laughs> I, I ever since I watched I showed Claire it's a wonderful life at Christmas time. I can't not say the word Mary
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, Zuzu's petals.
1: <laughs> he goes to his girlfriend's house, so he's running away from a thug. We don't know why. Because mm. it's a Thursday. He goes to Mary's apartment and she's in the bathroom, so he opens her bag and starts rummaging around for cash. Like yeah. he is a scumbag. Yeah. And then later in the film, he shoves her out of the way. He's going through all her drawers and bellowing, piffing her things out, grabs her
0: cash. It's almost like an addict film where it's like yeah. we eventually get that scene. It's like Basketball Diaries, where it's just like I need fucking money, mom. Yeah, like, yeah, the, yeah. Where they've hit rock bottom, where they're just yeah. But her character. It's just like, it's my fault.
1: I should have done something. only oh, really I could have done something else to help you. And you're just like, no. Yeah. Well, just the three the of us. We're like, no. Yeah. No, you didn't. You didn't need to do anything. Stop.
0: Again, guys, I got to tell you, 1950 women are property. <laughs> yeah. That's how the that was that, a thing.
1: The way that women are held and pushed and shoved and touched and talked down to and... Yeah, the way that, but the yeah, I think the most horrible scene for us was no, um, I should have loved you more, or I should have been more understanding. It's my fault. And it's like, dude.
0: Except, I will say that this film, unlike Thieves Highway, has a great example of a female character who is fuck fuck all the men. I don't need nobody. I can do this myself, and that is Helen, Helen Nossoros, the you know the big bad Phil like nightclub owner she's like fuck this dude I'm a fuck him over I'm in it for mine and she has her motivation and she's like I don't need nobody like I'm a a good I mean she does rely on Harry to some degree she does
1: say that she's going to use yeah Harry she's gonna make him be doing what she wants but she's still like oh I still have to have him around I think um, mm. she's she's actually a tragedy. Like, that's oh, very those, tragic for her. This is a bleak she, yeah. She's trying to be powerful and she's trying to make her own way and be independent. But she does have to go through a male character to, to see that through. He dupes her and makes the fake yeah. license. And then there's that scene where she says... She gets fucked
0: over. Bad. Yeah.
1: I'm leaving you because you're... I'm an asshole and I don't want anything to do with You're a fat
0: piece of shit who pushes himself on me, yeah. Yeah,
1: and then he, you'll be back, you'll be back. And then in the... Like, I won't be back. And in the same night she's back, pathetic and, like, groveling. It's very, yeah. very tragic. But I liked... As tragic as it is, I really thought that was an interesting... Unlike in um, Thieves Highway, where the um, fiancé comes and then leaves. And it's like, meh. This one was very good.
0: Yeah, and it's. I think it also helps um, the performance as well. By I love her name, uh, Googie Withers. Oh. Uh, she <laughs> she was incredible with uh, playing Helen. Um, what could have just easily been a I'm out of here, Phil, and don't you tell me nothing. It is. She gives so much weight to Helen as a character, especially in the the first scene, the scene where she confronts Harry to be like, I'll give you two, your two two hundred for this deal but like that in that little booth thing that seems amazing and then Mm. her turning scene against phil like amazing performances
1: Mm. yeah no i thought she was wonderful Mm. um i like how she's sort of the runner of the business as well she's sort of telling all the girls and everything what to do and she's She's pretty much a boss. Yeah. She just wants to be her own boss.
0: But she's, that's the problem is, like, she... And, like, the what's interesting about her and, like, the self-motivating and starting to want to break away from that is, like, I literally am the boss here, but I'm not the boss because I'm a, not a man. Yeah. Like, that's what's kind of cool and interesting.
1: Yeah, and I'm treated like a piece of meat where he, like, launches on her.
0: I bought you a fur coat, like, so you can P- fuck me. <laughs> yeah. <Whoa. laughs> it's rough. Um, yeah. But what I... My favourite thing about this movie... Like, I, I really dig this this flick. It's the fact that Harry's plan... Like, the way he stumbles upon it... And the way he's able to think so quickly on yes. his feet... To come up with this idea of, like... Oh, shit. That guy's a famous wrestler. He doesn't yeah. like what his son's doing. I'm going to nip out the exit... Yeah. And, like, get in his... Po- like, it... His plan works. Yeah. And it, if it weren't for his past history of being so shitty he it would have worked it would have worked but he's just burnt so many bridges along the way that his yeah. past self has fucked over his future self from actually succeeding like the damage has been done yeah it's it's an interesting kind of narrative and the fact that it gets into greco-roman wrestling like <laughs> <laughs> mind blown
1: um how do we say his name gregorius
0: gregorius
1: gregorius gregorius is <laughs> Wonderful. I love his characters. <laughs> just You're not, just, not my son. <laughs> oh,
0: I'm just giggling cuz I have the thing from community. Uh, it's uh, Dr. Clagoras? <laughs> Cligoras? Both is fine. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: I just have to remember the scene where we're first in the wrestling and you're like, but why are we all
0: in underwear? Yes! Again, it just... uh, I'm used to
1: wrestling with people wearing, oh no, I guess they still wear knickers now. Yeah,
0: they do. The Rock was out there, man. that's
1: true. (laughs) I guess these are like, these are big men.
0: Who aren't like shaved and muscular. It's just fat, hairy dudes throwing each other around in (laughs) a fucking rectangle. (laughs) yeah it's but it's so cool that he just thinks so quickly on his feet catches this plan but again throwing back to Thieves Highway it's so fucking convoluted yeah (laughs) why does it get into a like I love unlike Thieves Highway I kind of love it in this one where it's like it it it, the nuts and bolts of this story are about popular wrestling versus Greco-Roman wrestling (laughs) And what is more popular and what is more traditional?
1: Yes. Yet
0: this film does it so over the top and knows how to present that insanity. Whereas in *Thieves' Highway*, it was just like, "Here we go, that's that," mm-hmm. and moving on. Whereas this one takes its time to really set up. Like you said, the with Gregorius and his son, like the f- you really understand that Harry is wedging himself into a family dispute where he should ha- not be, and this is going to end badly. Whereas with apples and tomatoes, you're like, I'm sure, sure, yeah, sure.
1: But yeah, and Nico pays the guy, the farmers properly. So you like it oh. or? Yeah, it's right, there's
0: no actual, like the way I described this film. I realized while watching it, it's it's. I love a film where you where you're watching a protagonist who. Thinks that they succeed. They think they're going uphill when actually they're going downhill.
1: That's what the cracks of my enjoyment of this film was. Yeah, it was shot beautifully, but that I loved watching Harry. Yeah, think he's fucking and his cocky little you know attitude oh. and everything. He's waltzing around town thinking he's top shit, and he's got a, he's got the palm of his hand. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I got this. Yeah, and and all the while the extra scenes that we're seeing is he doesn't, and yeah. shit's going to go down. But, yeah.
0: It, it's, yeah. It's I likened it to 1950 Uncut Gems, essentially, yeah. where you're watching a character failing so hard, but trying so hard to succeed in what they're doing, yeah. like, and it just implodes it's in the greatest way.
1: Uncut Gems
0: is a, r- it's a rough watch. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. You mean the Safety brothers <laughs> made an intense, hard-to-watch
1: film? <laughs> but not in the city, I don't know... It definitely had tension. No, I, I would yeah. say Thieves Highway had more tension than Night in the City.
0: Yeah, Night in the City. The tension is never like palpable, like Thieves Highway, where you're like, oh my god, what's gonna, ha- oh my god, you're. You're sitting back it's like popcorn munching tension where you're just like oh my god yeah yeah, yeah. Like, it's fun
1: more intellectual except for the scene I know Claire got very upset <laughs> where <laughs> he's being chased by the thugs and he goes into a warehouse or a shack or something Oh yeah
0: it's it's like the construction site thing yeah I am
1: in that scene uh, oh well <laughs> right before he goes into that construction area he's running down the stairs and we were making a joke of the music it's like when the uh the the sim- the producers oh, yeah. watching the movie so, uh, uh, music that matches what's going on. Like, yes. the guy's going down the stairs. Ah. Yeah. But then redeems itself beautifully when he actually gets into the shack in the construction zone or whatever. And I'm like, what's that noise? Is that music right now and it's like metal being clanked yeah and is it is it in the scene or is it part of the sound well that's what's
0: insane you can't it kind of blurs that line because it's the middle of the night the construction site would be closed and there'd be no work happening yeah but it's an industrial mechanical kind of clanking the noise you would be hearing and it ratchets up that tension it
1: does and what i like is around this time you wouldn't probably hear anything other than um (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> like strings <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but um, I don't know I thought that was pretty cool but then also like on the note of music and the sound design and things there's a 20 minute stretch which is like the hype crux of the film where the wrestling, wrestling. scheme explodes into this giant wrestling match where everything comes undone it is fucking silent
1: it's just the grunting of the two men and then the occasional chiming in of the other characters telling
0: them to stop. And the sound, the foley sound of someone hitting a stake with a hammer. Yeah. <laughs> like,
1: just
0: the, like meat thud noises of wrestling. Yeah. And it is brutal. And then even that flows into Gregorius' death scene with um, Krista, which is amazingly done. Yes. And it's like, the, Like, dude, who thought that, because up until that time, like, I keep saying Ed Wood in this so it's like Lobo, just like, Lobo Russell. <laughs> like, yeah. That's who Gregorius was and then all of a sudden, here's a heartfelt scene where he's, di- you know, like, this monosyllabic weirdo <laughs> is crushing the scene.
1: Yeah, I remember having my heart wrenched out a little bit that scene. Now um, my son, my son closed the window. It's beautiful. Closed. Oh my god. And up
0: until that point, it's like you're my Russell Good," yeah. And you just like it's it's played for laughs almost. Yeah. Where you think like, and that's kind of the point, I think, with Harry the way Harry views Gregorius is just like, this is a foreign meathead idiot guy that I'm going to exploit. He yes. doesn't know what's going on. Listen to him talk. He's like, you so bad, good, blah. And that scene proves that's Harry's undoing is him un- not understanding who he's actually dealing with and who he's trying to exploit. These are real people who have... real. Yeah. It's
1: sort of the, uh, the Ed car crash scene with the yeah. other two thugs and the... Um... Yeah, the, the, the figuring out of, oh, yeah, these all the things that you said.
0: Reality comes crashing into the film all of a sudden and helps you realize, like, these are real people that have real consequences. Harry's fucked. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, he gets his re- redemption, I guess, towards the end. Well, it's more, it's, it's more of an understanding or an awakening, I guess, of, I suck.
1: <laughs> yeah. And that, yeah, that self reflection at the end's great with the running. Um, but then the the scene where... What's his girlfriend's name? Mary. Mm-hmm. Um, Mary. But fuck, she find him, by the way.
0: She, I guess she knows where he... Like, I, I'm assuming there's also that she had a similar montage where she goes around looking at his, all, his, all his haunts and, like, the people he would scam off of. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, but, yeah, that, that scene, um, I suppose his redeem, redemption is where he... Says, oh, you could be the one that finds me, and you could take the money, and um, all all the money I've taken off you is just pittance. Mm. This will be great money, and I'm like, oh,
0: yeah, yeah. fuck you. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's it. But then, yeah, the revelation of like, oh, I am a piece of shit. I should probably die. And the one good thing that will come is Mary can actually Prophet. make make it back and actually get a good life living with Adam, the sculptor who lives upstairs. <laughs> Who she, like she should have been with, with from the, the get go. go.
1: She's like in an abusive relationship, and yeah.
0: yeah. Adam is the Colin Firth of this film. It's like who he. It's, it's she shouldn't be with Hugh Grant. She should be with Colin Firth. It. <laughs> that's what this is.
1: <laughs> yes, I liked him and his character and their little. It's an interesting thing. It probably didn't need it, but I'm glad it has it.
0: Yeah, and again, this is a film based off of a novel, and so I assume that there's a lot. That's a lot more fleshed out there. And I'm sure, like, I know for sure there's some details, which I'll get into a minute, where Harry is drastically different in the film than he was in the books.
1: The ending as well, where, um, the strangler throws Harry off, oh, what does he do first? Does he, what does he do? Strangle him? And then throw him off the bridge? Yes, yeah,
0: yeah. So he murders him and then throws the body. And then
1: the strangler goes in the police car. It's just like, it's like the ending of Thieves Highway. Well, you should have...
0: Yeah, and Christo, God looking place. at it, looking over the entire scene, flicks his cigarette out. I was just like, well, that fucking sucks. No yep. one win. No, like, this is not a good ending. Like, I've just lost my biggest wrestler. My dad's dead. This other guy's dead. Like, this just sucks. Flick my does, cigarette into the Thames and walk off sad.
1: Does Noir normally have a tragedy ending?
0: Yeah, for for, for the most, most part, part yeah. it is like no one profits, and that's like the whole like crime doesn't pay yeah. thing. Yeah forget it Jake it's time China- it's Chinatown yeah, like you yeah, know it's, yeah. there is no fucking winner here <laughs> like yeah. this is a, just a shitty thing
1: <laughs> yeah
0: yeah which kind of makes some fun stories to watch where you're just like wow bleak <laughs> 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 yeah cool um but yeah i fucking i really really dug night in the city um i put it up there in terms of like these 40s 50s like noirs like right up there for me with um pick uh pick up on south street and detour and stuff like i really dug this movie i really dug this movie and too. i'm super happy i finally got to finish watching my dvd copy <laughs> <laughs> i got up to like the kind of before the wrestling match stuff like maybe 10 minutes before that so it's like it hadn't really kicked kicked, off. kicked into gear for me but yeah um do you want to hear a little bit of trivia sure um so as we were talking about at the beginning like uh dason being blacklist and things Um, uh, Zanuck, the head of Fox told him to shoot uh, told him that this would be the last film he'd ever be able to direct for the studio so he should shoot the most expensive scenes first (laughs) (laughs) before he got a chance to be blacklisted which just makes me love Zanuck even more not to mention the fact that his son went on to produce Jaws, so the best film ever made
1: wow
0: Yeah. Uh, here's what I teased us for, the character of Harry uh, was far more sympathetic in the movie than in uh, Gerald Kirsch's novel in which Harry uh, was not above pimping his girlfriend and blackmailing. And uh, unlike Harry in the film, he was a Brit masquerading as an American in order to impress others. Wow. Hmm. Um,
1: So he's a right shithead.
0: Yep. Uh, Richard Widmark stated in an interview that he lost a great deal of weight during the production because he had to run so much. I was thinking that. (laughs) Wouldn't you, though? He's always sweating. He's in so many, like, big polyester suits as well. Like, yeah, it'd be brutal. Uh, I found this one entertaining. Uh, Jules Dassin has stated that he didn't read the novel Night in the City until after the film was completed. Interesting. He's just like, yeah, I'm just going to work off the script and just do that. Yeah. Um, That's really about it for trivia. Uh, So we'll move in, uh, except for the one little thing that I realized while quickly looking at the trivia before. Uh, This film was remade in 1992... Uh, by Urban Winkler uh, starring Robert De Niro and Jessica Lang like what the fuck how do I not know this and have not seen Night it in called the- Night it's called City? Night in the City based off of the same novel like the original source novel the story of a cheating incompetent lawyer this time instead of a gangster Harry Fabian who suddenly gets obsessed with becoming a boxing promoter <laughs> and look how terrible that poster is a 5.8 on imdb at the moment so i'm kind of intrigued to look at this see robert de niro play harry fabian to me that just sounds boring eli wallach jack warden like this is interesting oh my god ali king (laughs) alan king plays ira boom boom grossman (laughs) sure whatever this looks this looks like yeah That weird 90s period where De Niro didn't really know... Early 90s where he didn't know what he was doing. Yeah. That baffled me. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, but we'll move on to the actual Criterion edition itself. Uh, It's still in print from Criterion as a one-disc Blu-ray or a two-disc DVD. And it comes with the complete 101-minute British version of the film. Yes, that's right. There is two versions of this movie. Mm. Uh, we well, we should probably have said at the beginning we're, we're specifically watching the American version <laughs> um, you know in its original ver- original way that it was first released. Um, yeah there are a few scenes added to the British version and the score of the two films are, are entirely different apparently so hmm. yeah um, uh, the DVD also has an audio commentary from 2005 with film scholar Glenn Erickson interview with director Jules Dasson from 2005. Excerpt from the 1972 television version. Uh, sorry, television. Excerpts from a 1972 television interview with Dustin. Uh, comparison of the scores from the British and American versions of the film by historian Christoph Houston. Uh, trailer as well as the usual booklet and essays that Criterion usually do. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I guess that's, that's a th- lot. Yeah, it's, it's a good. It's a two DVD. It's a good set. So mm-hmm. it's kind of cool that they were able to compile as much as they did
1: um, before we go I was going to say next time we're watching an old timey movie I'm going to um keep tracks on <laughs> how many oh, yeah. times Chris has oh, that actor looks like this other actor
0: <laughs> it's like an ongoing fun... thing it's a fun game I like to play where I just like point out and like like it was the scene like a good example is in Thieves Highway when Nick goes into like the coffee shop and it does like that tracking shot across the like all the patrons I was just like eh, 1940s Paul Rudd <laughs> like just people that old old timey actors that look like modern day actors. I like pointing them out just for shits and giggles
1: The funny part is, is i reckon about 5% of the people you say we know Yeah and then the other ones are like oh cool oh who was <laughs> who that
0: <laughs> Did i call Gregorius um 1950s tommy Wiseau? so he's, yes. he's like he's like happy good man he friend goodbye hi nice doggy <laughs> <laughs> You're my favourite customer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This one to be new. Yeah, so, okay, next next time we're doing, like, a 1950s it. American one, we'll, we'll yeah. definitely keep a track of that. Um, but otherwise, I guess that'll wrap us up for our Jules Dawson double feature of Thieves Highway and Night and the City. Um, yeah, as always, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, all the standard rigmarole, you can send us an email at thecriterionquest at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at CriterionQuest. Or you can follow us on Patreon. Yay! Yes, so uh, what we're doing over there is uh, for five bucks a month, it helps us uh, pay for the podcast, kind of keep the lights on over here, keep producing it and things. But for $5 a month, you get a couple, bunch of extra content. I'm, I'm posting over there periodically, but the main thing is once a month, you get feature length audio commentary episodes from Lee and myself. And uh, at this point, we are deep into our animation. Look at animated films.
1: Yes, we've just um, completed uh, Akira, 1988.
0: Yeah, and before that we did uh, Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> and uh, if I can, we'll reveal what our third one's going to be, uh, taking a very hard left turn from Akira. <laughs> We're going to do a commentary for How to Train Your Dragon and talk about how much of a masterpiece <laughs> that film is. Yes, yes.
1: and I think uh, the thought was that we've done cell animation, anime, and now we thought, well, we'll go the new uh, digital... Uh, CGI CGI yeah yeah. and it's great Mm.
0: and I mean prior to that we'd also done uh, we've got a trilogy of horror commentaries and things there's there's a bunch of stuff out there so uh, if you'd like to support the show and get some cool content at the same time head over to patreon.com slash thecriterionquest that's enough shilling for now Uh, we will be back in a fortnight's time with Lee's first Godard film Ooh. Jean-Luc Godard, who I am on record as not really digging that much. Oh. So we'll see how we go, but we have Tout va bien. Nice pronunciation. From 1972. Uh, so tune in in a fortnight's time for that. Otherwise, again, thank you for listening. Uh, for this week's episode, I'm Chris. I'm Lee. Or, oh, I'm Clara on the couch. <laughs> and we'll see you next time.